Pastor Xavier Rees and God's heart toward the lost. The panoramic view of the city overwhelmed Jesus. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it in realization that he would be rejected. The very day in scripture prophesied to the nation of Israel about the coming Messiah, she had refused to be gathered like chicks by the hen under her wings for protection. He grieved, he wept, broken heart. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. If you knew the days you had left on earth, how would you live them? In pleasure? Or perhaps in pursuit of riches? Or maybe even both? Well, there's one who knew his exact number of days, and the only one who lived out his entire life for the sake of others. This is from Pastor Xavier's study of the Gospel of Luke and today's Simple Truths message titled, The Triumphal Entry of Jesus. Let's listen. Luke 19, we're going to look at verses 28 to 48, and the message is entitled, The Triumphal Entry of Jesus. First, we have the triumphal king in verses 28 to 40. Then we have the weeping prophet in 41 to 44. And thirdly, the righteous priest, 45 through 48. King, prophet, and priest. He's fulfilling in the triumphal entry. Let's begin here with the triumphant king. Notice in verse 28, now as he's going to Jerusalem, having corrected the disciples' wrong understanding about the coming kingdom, because it is connected to what precedes. It says that when he has said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. Said what? The disciples were sure that Jesus was going to establish the kingdom as he arrived in Jerusalem. And so Jesus declared the parable of the minas in Luke 19, 11. The parable of the minas, they're focused on the nobleman who went to a far country receiving the kingdom because that's what they're responding to. And that he would return so that he delegated servants to do business till he comes in there in Luke 19, 12 through 14. The nobleman represents Jesus in verse 12 and the servants, his disciples, in verse 13. The nobleman had called the servants to reward them when he returned. And he rewarded them according to the stewardship. Those that multiplied it, he rewarded them accordingly in proportion. Verse 15 through 19. The one who buried it, he took from him and gave it to one of the others who had. Verse 20 through 26. You wicked servant. You could at least put it in the bank. For interest. This is the Bema Seat of Christ that is spoken about for the believer in Romans 14 10, 1 Corinthians 3 11 through 15, 2 Corinthians 5 10. The motive of the heart will be the judgment, 1 Corinthians 4 5. Not what we did, how much we did, but why and how we did it. Very, very clear. Now, notice in 29 at the end, down to 34, Jesus commanded his disciples to bring a colt. Jesus declared them, to them to go and, and they, um, they would find a coal tied, very specific. He sent his two disciples saying, go into the village opposite you and you will, as you enter, you will find a coal tied. The disciples conducted themselves as servants, obedient. Then they brought him the colt to Jesus in humility. And they threw their own clothes on the colt in serving Jesus and they set Jesus on him. 
But they have an agenda in mind. They believe the kingdom's going to be set, established. They're going to reign. Rome's going to be knocked off. And notice the people gave reverence to Jesus. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Verse 36, welcoming the king to the city. They were indicating their submission and honor to the king. In 37, the many disciples praised God, the Father, for Jesus here. The event occurred as Jesus began descending. So he's come up from the back. He's going over the Mount of Olives. He comes to the crest. He's going to start descending. The descent leads to the Kidron Valley and up to the temple area, the east gate. Is right before the Mount of Olives. Jesus would also ascend to heaven from the Mount of Olives after the resurrection. Acts 1, 9 through 12 tells us that. The whole multitude noticed of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, the end of 37, the 12, the 70, and the many that followed him beyond that. And the reason for the rejoicing and praise that's given to us for all the mighty works they had seen. The mighty works of God they had seen Jesus do. Notice in 38, the many disciples of Jesus worshipped him. They acknowledged Jesus as the king and Messiah, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord Yahweh. The Pharisees attempted to stop the worship. Envious of the praise and worship he was receiving. Jealous of the glory given to Jesus. They did not acknowledge Jesus as Messiah, but opposed him constantly. They feared losing their position with Rome, John tells us, and the other Gospels. They wanted to put a stop to this. These Pharisees were commanding Jesus to rebuke his disciples, implying that their worship was wrong, but that it was right. Prophetic implying that they were mistaken, that he was not Messiah. In verse 40, notice Jesus declared that even nature knew the prophetic event. I say to you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. This day was by divine appointment. This day was a rebuke to them for not acknowledging Jesus as their Messiah. Notice secondly comes the weeping prophet. In 41, Jesus perceived the city and was moved with grief first. The panoramic view of the city overwhelmed Jesus. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Remember, he's coming over the crest of the Mount of Olives. He sees it, it opens up. Jerusalem the golden, the city, the temple mount. The walls, literally drawing near, reaching the crest of the Mount of Olives, he burst into sobbing tears, mourning, lamenting, literally. Jesus wept over the city in realization that he would be rejected. In view of all the prophets, she had stone that were sent to her. In view that she had refused to be gathered like chicks by the hen under her wings for protection. He grieved, he wept, broken heart. And then notice 42 to 44, you have the, Jesus proclaimed here the reason 
for his weeping. Very specific. The high privilege of Jerusalem required of her great accountability and responsibility being personified as a person, the city, that is. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Verse 42. Due to the privilege and honor it had not lived up to, if you had known, even you, the city of God, the city of David, the holy city. Due to her willful ignorance concerning her appointed time and benefit, especially in this your day, the things that made for your peace. They possess the very day in Scripture prophesied to the nation of Israel about the coming Messiah, but they failed to recognize and accept it. The message of the angels of peace on earth towards men and goodwill meant those who accept the will of God, the Messiah, Jesus, in Luke 2.14, at his birth. But also notice due to the fact that they would suffer the consequences. But now, here's a contrast. What God had prepared for them has been now canceled out for a time. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The error's tense indicates the end of their blindness hid completely. It was progressive and it came to blindness. Romans eleven twenty five says, Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. The last person to be saved and the church is removed. Then God will deal with Israel once again. Jesus said they would not see him again till the second coming. Crying out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in Matthew 23, 39. As they make a covenant with the Antichrist and he sets up the image of the abomination in the middle of the seven years, Israel will flee, Revelation 12, to Petra. God will provide for her and they will call upon the Lord and as Jesus Christ comes back for the second coming, they will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the remnant of Israel. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 deal with it very, very specifically. Notice the Lord Jesus proclaimed a denunciation of the city now, 43 and 44. In view that the city would be given over to judgment, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment around you, surround you, and enclose you in on every side. In other words, they're going to set the armies around them. They're going to keep closing in. They're going to cut off food, water, everything else. No one come in. No one come out. And they're going to progressively move inward till they crush the city completely. The armies of Rome would surround it. In view of the city, it would be devastated and level you and your children within you to the ground. All of this was done by Titus the general through the 10th legion of the Roman armies. Their city would be conquered and demolished. The temple would be destroyed piece by piece. Not a stone would be upon another, fulfilling the words of Jesus in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke as they would um, set fire to the temple and all the gold would melt. And to recover the gold, they took one stone above another, completely off. The Romans were excellent. They would take, they took all the, all the olive trees around Jerusalem, cut them down, set them to the, to the limestone walls and the temple mount. Well, what do olive trees have? Oil. And they covered all the cisterns with heavy boulders. While you set fire, there's oil, it burns. That limestone gets hot. 
What happens? You've got a bomb. Amazing. Notice in view that they were willfully ignorant. Willfully ignorant about their appointed time because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the second mention of their high privilege, the first in 42. Jerusalem had no excuse. She had the scriptures. Jerusalem had only responsibility and accountability to their measure of light. Jerusalem had chosen to become desolate till the second coming of Jesus Christ. Very, very clear. Do you know your high privilege in Christ? The privilege that you and I have. The measure of light and truth imparted to us about our blindness, our lost condition. Do we rejoice in that? Do we celebrate it? Do we thank God for that? Or have you become indifferent? The part you play in the church as he has enabled you to be effective for the benefit of the body, through your calling, through your gifts, are you living up to that? Are you doing your part as God has called you? The empowerment bestowed on you and I by the Holy Spirit to do excellent service to glorify him. That doesn't happen naturally or automatic. Does Jesus weep over you or I in our neglect, our indifference at times, and our willful ignorance to the high privilege that we have? Or does he rejoice over our humble faithfulness because we love him? Do you understand that God's visitation in your life for salvation is only a start? It's only the beginning. He wants to transform you and I daily. He wants to give us wisdom for our situations, circumstances of life. Or does he weep over us because we don't yield to him, we don't go to him? He's given us a divine nature and promises by which we are, can overcome everything that comes into our lives, Second Peter chapter 1, 3 through 4 says. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Are you aware of the closeness of his coming for his church and the closeness of his second coming? Are you aware of the signs of the last day, the global chaos, the instability, economically, politically, militarily, are you aware of the signs of the last day? The key players, Russia, the Islamic Confederacy of her states, China, the appearance of the Antichrist. Are you ready for his coming? Or will you and I be weeping at his coming? Hmm. The weeping prophet was Jesus. Notice thirdly, we have the righteous priest in 45 to 48. Jesus moved on to the temple in 45. The temple was a place of sacrifice and worship, as you know. Then he went into the temple, it says. The word for temple here indicates the entire temple complex. It's courts, it's buildings. By the way, we just left Sunday when he entered in. This is Monday. This is the next day. The people of God had entered into a covenant with God, as you know, when they came out of the Exodus. They had access to God through sacrifice and the priesthood. 
the animals were all types of Jesus Christ, of the Lamb of God to come, prophetic of him. The abuse of the temple caused Jesus to empty the place out at this point. And he began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. Jesus drove out those who bought and sold in the temple. Not innocent people. The reference here is to the exorbitant amount of money that was being charged for the sacrifices on the temple site by the priests, the Sadducees. They had set up these businesses to enrich themselves, merchandising the people. You would bring your sacrifice, it would find a blemish on it, so now you have to buy one of theirs, which has already been sanctified and passed inspection, but of course it's five, five times more than normal. Kind of like, you know, you go to the airport and you want a hamburger and a Coke and you pay $50. The word drive means to cast out, literally to throw out from that place. Again, the Sadducees were the wealthy materialists by this temple business. The priests were corrupt, justifying and the denial of the parental support often, if you remember, as they said, Corban, meaning gift, is dedicated to the Lord. This way it would benefit them. Or oh, you can escape helping your parents financially. Just say what you're going to give is to the temple. Corban, it's a gift of God. Because they saw the benefit to themselves. The money would be exchanged also. You had money exchangers from the temple um, shekel. For a high percentage. If you do any traveling, you know that wherever you go, you have to exchange your money. And whenever you exchange money, there's a little piece of it that you lose. Okay? And, and, and in reality, you can take a dollar and exchange it to euros or whatever you want. And then you, they would take a chunk and you would lose a little bit and then change it back, change it, and keep going back and forth. And you can do that enough times. By the time you get done, you'll end up with nothing. They were merchandising the things and the people of God to enrich themselves. There were two cleansings at the beginning of the ministry here. John 2, 13 through 16 gives us the first. Notice 46. Jesus declared the true nature and function of the meeting place in the temple. The temple was God's house of prayer, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer. The quote is from Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah 7, 11. The house of God would be called a house of prayer for all nations, not just the Jews in that context of the prophets, for all who would serve and revere God faithfully. The Lord would gather Jew and Gentile in one flock, as you know, his church, even as Jesus says, under one flock and one shepherd in John 10, 16, Ephesians 2, 14. The word prayer is use of prayer in general with the idea of worship and reverence, and always used of God, never of man. Prayer speaks of listening to God, man listening to God. Prayer is to tap into the things of God, his will. Prayer is intimate fellowship with a holy God. Prayer is the privilege of man towards God. Notice they had made it a place of evil prophet, but you have made it a den of thieves. The temple was a place where the people of God were to gather. 
Instead, it had become a place where evil people were hiding and profiting. Please don't think that this doesn't happen today. This still happens today. If Jesus was here, he would walk into many churches and overturn the tables and chase people out. Guaranteed. Look at 47 and 48. Jesus declared in the temple the ways of God to the people. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. Jesus taught daily in the temple till he was arrested, as you know. Jesus was plotted against daily, but he never spent a night in the city. His enemies, the chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of the people, all of them sought to destroy him. The plot was on already. Look at 48. Jesus was untouched and received by the people. And they were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. They were prohibited by the people's presence. There's a certain mystery and power to the presence of the people of God in the midst of darkness. God uses that. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He told the apostles in Acts 1.8. The people were learning, attentive, which means it's a strong verb. They could not tear themselves from him. But people today don't have an appetite for God's word. They want sermonettes for Christianettes, funny stories, illustrations, motivational speaking, no more than 15, 20 minutes, and then we can go do something else. Welcome to the new church in America. In the last days, I will give them a famine of God's word. Do you hunger after God's word? You read it daily? Do you crave it? Do you study it? Does your Bible look like it's falling apart? If it does, you're not falling apart. If your Bible's not falling apart, you probably are. One day, Uzziah presumed on the office of priests, as you know, and he offered incense, and God struck him with leprosy in 2 Chronicles 26, 16 through 21. Jesus here is the fulfillment of the ultimate high priest. After the order of Melchizedek, which is the message of the book of Hebrews, our high priest, are you and I using the Christian faith for our own benefit and profit? Or are we doing business till he comes? I fear for people that use the name of Jesus and Christianity to profit themselves and their business or whatever it is, taking advantage of people, doing shoddy work. God help them. Are you making use of the purpose of prayer to seek God? For him to speak to you, guide you, direct you, to follow his will. The righteous priest was and is Jesus. Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. According to the scripture, fulfilling his threefold office as Messiah, the triumphant king, the weeping prophet, the righteous priest. He's about to go to the cross. He's committed. He's going to open the doors to heaven for all. 
through grace and faith. Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of the all-encompassing ministry of the Savior. And today's message titled, The Triumphal Entry of Jesus, is available as always on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll also be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Triumphal Entry of Jesus, or you can simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address, once again, is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. More on the heart of God. That's next time on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Be sure and tell a friend, and we hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com